we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Andrew. It's good to see you guys. Great to be here. Um, we are finishing today this journey that we've been on for, for five weeks. And we've called it the, the calm after the storm. And so the idea throughout this journey is this, that once you get on the other side of a difficult season, of a storm, whatever it is, that it's a good thing to look back and reflect and just ask yourself, okay, what did I learn? What did the storm teach me about myself, about God, about the world around me? What, what did I learn? In, uh, in week one, we talked about humility and how the storm can humble even the strongest of people. In week two, we looked at patience and how the storm can disrupt your schedule and force you to, to place trust in God's timing. In, in week three, we talked a little bit about about uh, grief and how grief sometimes is not the enemy. Grief is actually your companion. And last week, we talked about unity and this, the, the importance of having an undivided heart for God. So today, as we finish, I want to finish with what I think is the most important lesson that you learn in the storm. And as we do that, I want, to, I want, us, I want us to shift a little bit. We, we began this journey five weeks ago asking the question, how do you grow through a storm? Who does God say you are and who's God calling you to be in the middle of the storm? So what I want us to do this week as we finish our journeys, I want us to shift the question a little bit as you, as you wrestle with this idea about how you grow through a storm. Today, this is a question I want you to wrestle with. How do I prepare the way for others to grow in the storm? You see, after, after you wrestle with things like humility, patience, grief, and unity, these things like that, you wrestle with who God says you are, who God is calling you to be. It's in that moment that you begin to appreciate a four-word phrase that we've heard, but it's not a fun one to say, and it's an even less fun one to actually live out. But it's a very important part about following Jesus. And that four-word phrase is this. It's not about me. We know that phrase, right? Let's all say it together. You ready? We're going to say this together. Ready? It's not about me. We're really good at saying it. Maybe not so good at actually living it out and, and, and meaning it. But you see, the storm, it has a way of teaching us one of the most important parts of the gospel about discipleship. And so today, the last lesson that the storm teaches us that we're going to discuss in your notes is leadership. Now, some of you, you hear that and right away, your, your first thought is, I'm not a leader. Not true. It's just not true. Everybody in this room is a leader because everybody in this room has influence. And the sooner you come to terms with this, the sooner you realize this, the sooner you can be intentional about using it. For some of you, you might say, well, that's not even me. I don't even have any influence because I'm, I'm too insignificant. Nobody notices me. Nobody pays attention to me. 
What if I were to tell you one of the most powerful, effective world leaders in the modern era was an insignificant nobody, somebody that nobody knew, nobody knew who she was. To this day, nobody still, nobody, nobody really knows who she was. This is her. Her name is Elizabeth Everest. Anybody, anybody ever heard of her? I, I can't imagine anybody has. She, she grew up and lived in 19th century Victorian England. She never married, never had any kids. She just kind of lived isolated. That was, that was her storm. But not only does she grow through her storm, she prepares the way for others to grow through their storms. She becomes a nanny for a, a little boy. And from that point forward, her name, she would be known as Womb. The little boy that she was in charge of Whenever he would try to say woman, the best he could come up with was womb. And so that name just stuck. And so the people that knew her, they called her womb. This little boy that she was in charge of, she fell in love with him right away. She cared for him. She treated him as though he was her real son. You see, being a nanny for a womb, it wasn't her job. It was her calling. And it was a good thing for the young man, this, this boy that she was in charge of, because his parents... They really, they, they, they couldn't be bothered with him. They didn't have time for their son. They were upper middle class English society. They had some means, but they constantly lived beyond their means. And so their priority was rubbing elbows with the super wealthy, with the super powerful. So they, they just didn't have time to be parents. They didn't have time for their son. They would send him off to school at age seven, and, then, and they didn't even really send him off properly. The dad doesn't even take him to the train station. The mom does, but she drops him off like a few hours early and just leaves him there. And he's going to be gone for, for a long time. He arrives at the school, and almost right away, he starts receiving beatings from the schoolmaster. And in the midst of this storm, he's writing letter after letter to his parents, begging them to allow him to come home, telling them how homesick he is, and even getting to the point where he says, just, just write me back. Tell me how you're doing. This kid just desperate to hear a word from his parents. They wouldn't write him back. But Womb, she would. She wrote him routinely. She would constantly look after this young man, send him money, send him care packages, send him gifts, write him letters, see how he's doing. Even, even when the family fired her because they couldn't afford to pay her, even in her poverty, she continues to look after this young man, sending him gifts and money and care packages and doing everything that she can to help prepare the way for this young man. In the midst of her own storm, she's caring for this young man. Not knowing who he would become. Not realizing the generational impact she was leaving by leading through the storm. And she left a legacy because of it. You see, this is why everybody in this room, this is why we are all leaders, because we all have a legacy that we lead and we leave behind. In your notes, we lead through the storms of our past through our legacies. You see, these are, these are the stories, the stories that we tell our kids, the next, the next generation of leaders. And that's, that's what David is doing. Today, we're going we're gonna to finish our journey with David. We, we've been in David's narrative for about five weeks now, and we just, we just kind of hit the high points of his, of his story. There's a lot more in his narrative that we didn't cover. But today, we're going to pick up, we're, we're at the end of David's journey. So in your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. 
And just so you know, this psalm is also in first, or sorry, 2 Samuel 22, verbatim. It's a part of David's narrative that's referred to as David's last song. This is like his final words, his legacy that he's leaving behind. And as David reflects on the storms of his past, he leads through those storms with this legacy. This is how he begins. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Now, on its own, this is a pretty powerful prayer. This is a pretty powerful statement. But when you consider who wrote it and when he wrote it, it becomes even more powerful. You see, it's King David at the end of his journey in this This is how he tells his story. Of all that David went through, all of the storms of his past, all of the times that Saul tried to kill him and he would have to flee, he'd have to hide in this cave, in this wilderness, just running away from Saul, all of the times that these people were fighting these people and the the nation just split, all of the times that having to fight this country and this country, of all the storms that David had to deal with, this is how he tells the story. See, he tells the story of the storms, but in the way that he tells it, the storm isn't the main character. For David, the legacy that he's leaving, the main character is faith. Leading through your storms with your legacy, it looks like this. You tell the story of your faith. You see, for David, his, his legacy, it begins and it ends with his faith in God. Think about week one. How was David victorious over the bears attacking the sheep? How was he victorious over Goliath attacking the Israelites? It was his devout faith in God, his firm belief that no matter where he was, God was with him. His faith in God was stronger than his fear of the storms. You see, for David, faith, it wasn't this cute little word with a cool little graphic that he put on a t-shirt and he wore around. It wasn't a cool little picture that he put on a frame and, and put on his wall. It wasn't just a silly religious cliche for David. For David, his faith, it was a matter of life and death. And as he reflects on these storms, he looks around the room. What does he see? He sees the next generation of leaders. And he tells them a story. A story that begins with his faith. My, my granddad, he turned 98 this year. Here's a picture of my granddad. This is my papa. He is my hero. He is my favorite man on earth. I've learned so much from this man. He's currently having to stay at a, a long-term care facility. And so I I go and I visit him as often as I can. And what I've learned to do when I go see my papa is I've learned not to talk. I just sit down and I listen. I listen to the stories that he tells. And he's got some great stories. He was a, a police officer 
for 76 years. He's the longest tenured lawman in the world. He served as chief of narcotics in Fort Worth. So he's got some great stories from his life in the field of police work. But recently, when I visit with him, he, he's starting to tell a different kind of a story. Right now, he's having, he's having to deal with a storm, so to speak, in the family, and it's, it's regrettable. It's unfortunate that he's having to deal with it. And I can see, whenever he tells the story, I can see the pain that it's causing him. But as he's telling us the story, he looks at me and he looks at my brothers and my son. And he finishes the story this way. He says, but you know what? It doesn't matter what the problem is. There's no problem that you, me, and God can't solve. And then he edits that phrase. He says, now that I think about it, there's, there's no problem that me and God can't solve. And then he edits it one more time. He says, actually, you know what? There's no problem God can't solve. Why would he, why would he say that? Why would he say that? This is, this is what I think. In the middle of his storm, he looks and he sees me. He sees my brothers. He sees my son. He sees the next generation of the, of the family. And he starts to tell a story, the story of his faith. On Friday, the storm reared its ugly head again. And I was up here uh, at a conference and. I had, I had to get up. I had to leave right away. I had to go tend to it. And in the midst of it, it was causing me a lot, a lot of agony. And so I knew what I needed to go do. In the middle of my storm, I drove down, and I went and saw my papa. And I just sat down with him for about an hour and a half, just talking to him, just listening to him. Because I knew if I, if I, just, if I could just spend some time with him, I'm going to walk away feeling better about things. And so I go, and I sit down, and I wish, I wish he could hear better. I wish he could hear what I was saying. His hearing is really uh, struggling. But over the course of that hour and a half visit, three separate times, three times, my hero, this, this man, looks at me and tells me how proud he is of me. And it was all I could do to keep from bawling as I'm looking at this man. I'm looking at the man. I want to tell him, Papa, if you're proud of me, the only reason why there's anything good in me is because of your legacy, because of the story you told me, because of the way that you led the family, the way that you looked after me and my brothers, the stories you told us, the times you took us to church, the way that you served us and made sure we have what we need. Any good that's in me is because of how God used you in my life. I want to tell him that. But I want you all to know, if you are a parent or you are a grandparent, don't tell me you're not a leader. You most certainly are. You lead by the stories that you tell. What kind of stories are you telling? Do you have those stories of faith, those, those moments of your past that were really trying, that were very challenging, but you emerged on the other side, and you emerged on the other side with a faith that was forged through the storm? What are those stories in your life? Are you telling your grandkids? Are you telling your kids, your grandkids, those kind of stories? And if you're young, and you don't have kids yet. This is what I would invite you to do. Sometime this week, just take a moment. Get on the phone. Call your parents or call your grandparents. Call your, your mentors of faith. And just ask them some of these questions. Just say, hey, tell me about some storms in your past. Tell me about those seasons that were very challenging for you. That you came out on the other side with a stronger faith because of it. What are those storms? Ask them those questions, and then you just listen. If you do this, I promise you, 
both you and your parents and grandparents, you'll be thankful for these moments. David, his story continues. I want to pick up here at verse 16. He says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I want you to listen to this part again. There in verse 17, this is King David. He says, he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. I want to be clear about something here. This is King David. And he's telling his story of his journey at the end of his life. And he tells his mighty warriors, he says, hey, my enemy, too strong for me. The only reason why I'm sitting here to tell you this story is because my God is able. I'm not enough. Arguably one of the greatest military commanders of all time, the one who by all rights could claim goat status in military, in that moment, as he's staring at his mighty warriors, he tells them, no, 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 I'm not the goat. He's the goat. He's not telling the story. Think, think about this. Think about after you get on the other side of an unthinkable win, an unthinkable victory, how easy is it to, to look at yourself with pride and say, I did it. They said I couldn't do it, but I did it. I proved them wrong. Why? Because of my talent because of my strength, because of who I am, because of my discipline, the hard work that I did, me, me, I did it. How easy is it to say that? But King David, at the end of his journey, looking at his mighty warriors, he tells a different story. He, he doesn't say, greater am I than the world. He tells a different kind of story. First John 4 puts it this way, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You see, David, his lesson in humility, it helps him tell a different kind of story. Leading through the storms of your past with your legacy, it looks like this. You tell the story of your hope. As David looks at his mighty warriors, he knows there's going to come a day for each one of them when they're going to face an enemy stronger than they are. And so he tells them a story that reminds them of the hope they will have regardless of the enemy, regardless of the circumstances. And guess what? It worked. Eight centuries later, there was a man by the name of Antiochus IV. He was an evil, evil, evil man. He led a campaign terrorizing Jews living in, in Jerusalem and Samaria and there were reports of him having Jews skinned alive. Just all kinds of evil. And as the Jews, they consider their circumstances, and they consider the possibility that maybe God has forgotten about them. And they look at their enemy, and they know they're outmatched, they're overpowered. Guess what psalm they're singing? Guess what psalm they're praying through during this season? Psalm 18. It's known as a post-exile psalm, and that means it was used by the Jews during this season of persecution. And as they look at their enemy, as they look at Antiochus, they remember, as they pray through this psalm, they remember the legacy of David, my enemy, my foes. They were too strong for me, but my God 
my God drew me out, drew me out of the deep waters of my enemy. And as these persecuted Jews begin to tell the story of David's legacy of hope, they mount a rebellion, and the unthinkable happens. They win. And every year, that story of hope is told again and again and again. It's known as the Festival of Lights, or as most people know it, Hanukkah. A day when the story of hope overplayed the story of fear. You see, a, a good leader looks at the storms of their past. They look at their victories. And they don't say, greater am I than the world. A good leader is humble. A good leader understands the secret to their success. They know why they're victorious. A good leader looks at their victories and they say, they say this kind of story. Greater is he that is in me than he, is, he that is in the world. A good leader tells stories of hope. Now, if, let's, let's just see how well you know me. I'm, I'm almost, not quite, almost in my default setting. Like if you'd normally see me, I'm almost how I would normally look. But there's one thing that's, that's missing, and, and as soon as I walk off uh, the platform, it's usually the first thing that I grab. What is missing from this picture? My hat, yes. My hat. I love my hats. I won't wear it for long, but when I'm wearing my hat, I'm at home. I'm comfortable. I feel like, ah, okay, I'm good. I've always been a hat guy, even when I was a kid. That's why whenever I started to lose my hair, I was like, well, it didn't matter. I was going to wear a hat anyway. Easy come, easy go. But I love hats. I've, I've always loved them so much so that when I was in college and right after college, I got a job working as a hatter. So I made custom cowboy hats. I made this hat. I, most of the hats you see me wearing, they're, they're ones that I made. And it was a cool job. But one of the coolest parts of the job was getting to work for this man right here. His name is Keith Maddox. And that smile, a smile says it all. His positive outlook on life was infectious. I don't remember a time not seeing that smile on his face. It followed him everywhere he went, even in his cattle brand. This was his cattle brand, Positive Times. It was, it was a story that he would, he would say, it, 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 would, it would tell the story, the meaning behind his brand. And every time he told the story, he, he always kind of had a chuckle in his voice when he would tell the story. And I remember him telling me the story for the first time. He, he, he said, you know, Chris, I, I, I had a bad day once. Man, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but that was his story. It was a story that he chose that, that you always have hope. And if you always have hope, you always have a choice. What's your outlook going to be? And he chose hope. He chose positive times, no matter what. Even as he battled the storm of cancer, he's still choosing positive times. And now, now that he's received ultimate healing, and he's in the full presence of God, his story of hope lives on. I can't tell you how many rodeo cowboys I see walking around with the Positive Times brand on the back of their hat. And last year, when I, when I heard so many stories of despair, of angst, of how death is imminent for everybody, and the sky is falling, and, and everybody should panic, in the midst of all of the chaos, 
I heard cowboy after cowboy come forward and tell their own positive time story, a story of hope in the middle of circumstances that suggested there wasn't any. See, this is the power of your story. Your story will live beyond you. Are you telling good stories? Are you telling stories of hope? Because it will live beyond you. David's story, it continues. Verse 30, he says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. So I want you to listen to that. The word of the Lord is flawless. Now, when, when we hear that, what do we think? The word of the Lord, the Bible. Well, just so you know, David didn't own a copy of the Bible. It wasn't in this form whenever he was around. This is not on his bookshelf. So when he says the word of the Lord, he's talking about listening to the direction of God, the voice of God. You see, David, he's looking at his mighty warriors, all in need of direction, all curious about about how they're going to go forward without him. And he tells them, look, you don't need my word. You need the word of the Lord. Look, he's your rock, not me. See, that's, that's what a good leader does. A good leader points people to God. A good leader doesn't point people to themselves. A good leader thinks about the future of their family, of their business, of their organization, of their church after they're gone. Why? Because of one word. And it's arguably the most powerful word in any language. Leading through the storm of your legacy, it looks like this. You tell the story of your love. Last week, we, we, we learned about this, this importance of having an undivided heart for God. But we also learned about David's past. We learned that David was not a perfect man. Far from it. He, he's got skeletons in his closet. He's got mistakes. He has storms of his own doing. He had some big screw-ups. But we learned that through it all, on the other side, David emerged, he emerges with a strong, undivided heart for God. At the beginning of David's story in 1 Samuel, it says that David was a man after God's own heart, so much so that when David speaks, he can't help but speak about the love of God, the love that he has for God, the love that he has for his warriors, for his people, the love that he has for the mission of God. Take a look at the very beginning of this psalm, Psalm 18. How does he begin his, his last song, his legacy? What are the first words? He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The very first words of David's story is his love for God. And everything else, everything else that David did, it was built on that strong, firm foundation of the love that he had for God, the love that he knew that God had for him. And because of that strong foundation, because of that, David emerges on the other side of his storms, growing through his storms, stronger on the other side of his storms. But not only that, he led in such a way that for generations after him, people could continue to grow through their storms because of how he led. Here we are 3,000 years later, and we are still growing through our storms because of David's legacy, because of his prayers, his prayers of lament, his prayers of, of angst, his prayers of, of despair, of depression, but, but still trust and all of that because of David's legacy, because of how he led through his storms. Here we are still learning from it. Do you, do you ever ask yourself, 
I, I wonder what they will say about me. I wonder what my family will say about me at my funeral. You ever, you ever ask yourself that question? I do. Anytime I preside over a, a funeral, after it's over with, and the family's gone, and I'm on my way home, I'm, I'm going to reflect on that question. I'm going to say, I wonder, what will my family say about me at my funeral? At some point in the service, they're going to tell my story. What kind of story are they going to tell? Will they tell the story of love? Or will they be more compelled to tell a story of, of hate, of bitterness, of anger, of depression? What did I spend more time and energy telling? Which story did I focus on in my life? Now, the reality is, I hope they'll say this, this, and this. I hope that they'll tell the story of love. I hope that they will say, here is a man who loved God with all that he had, and he loved his family fiercely. I hope that's what they say. But when that day comes, I don't, I don't get to be the one that tells that story. My family does. What kind of story will your family say about you? When they, when they look at your life and they reflect on the stories that you told, what are they going to say? Or, or think, about it, think about it this way. Think about it this way. Think about your great, great grandkids. Because this is the generation that will probably never speak your name. Like my grandkids, they'll say my name. My great-grandkids, maybe they will. But my great-great-grandkids, chances are my name will never come out of their mouth. But what sort of legacy will they be living into because of the stories that I told? What's the story of the family that they're growing into because of the way that I live my life? If you're not sure what the story is going to look like, what if you made a decision that said, okay, I want to change the stories that I tell. I want to start uh, telling better kinds of stories. I'll talk about the storms, but the main character is going to be about my faith, hope, and love in God. And just imagine with that decision, just imagine a few generations from now, your great, great grandkids in the middle of their own storm in that moment, instead of cowering, Instead of hunkering down, they stand up with bravery, with, with courage, and they face the storm head on because of the stories that you told, because of the legacy that you left for them. And in that moment, instead of cowering, they join your story, which is David's story, which is my God is my rock, my fortress, my refuge, my deliverer. What kind of stories are you leaving? What kind of stories are you telling? Because I promise you, it will have a multi-generational impact. That was the kind of story that Elizabeth Everest was telling. You remember her from the beginning, womb. She told the story of love to the young boy that she nannied. This was the young boy that she nannied. And she told it to him by the way that she cared for him, by the way she looked after him, by the way she loved him, by the way she told him his life mattered. And because of that, she prepared the way for this young man to be brave to be courageous, to know right from wrong, to stand up for what was right, no matter the cost. And she had no idea the legacy she was creating by loving this boy. She didn't know who he would become. This is who he would become. And if you don't know, this is Winston Churchill, arguably the most influential world leader during the Second Great War. You see, in the, in the 20s, at the end of the first war, there was this, 
certain non-commissioned German officer in a hospital recovering from his battle wounds. And as he's recovering at the end of that first war, this, this non-commissioned German officer, he begins to tell a different kind of a story, a story of hatred, of xenophobia, a story of Germany's need to exact revenge from their true enemies, the Jews. And this officer's hatred grew every time he told the story, so much so that by the 30s, the world was at war again. And as it began, the rest of the world looked at this German officer and said, okay, let's find a way to make peace with this man. Let's figure out how to be diplomatic with this man. This was the German officer they wanted to make peace with. Now, we look at this picture, and we know better. We now know better. We know this was no man to make peace with. And we know it because of Winston Churchill. He was the first one. He was the only one. As the rest of the world wanted to be diplomatic with him, Churchill was the one that stood up and said, no, this is no man to reason with. This is no man to try diplomacy with. This is pure evil. And there's only one way you stop it. You get in its way. And so Churchill, fueled by the story of love that his nanny, that woman had told him, had the strength, the courage to stand alone up against the greatest evil the world had ever seen. And Churchill led his nation. He led the world through one of the darkest times in all of history. And he helped stem the tide of the Holocaust. But what's most interesting about Churchill is this. If you were to ask him about what his crowning achievement is, He's not going to talk about the war with Hitler. He's not going to talk about the victories in World War I. He's not going to talk about all of the battles that he won. He's not going to talk about how he would always sleep on the front, in, front lines of war, even when he didn't have to, just to be on the front lines. He, he's not going to tell that story. He's going to tell a different kind of a story. Yes, Churchill, what are you most proud of? And this is what he'll say. This is from his biography. He says, of all his roles, the warmest and most endearing his favorite was that of dad. Winston adored children and saw to it that his own would never suffer the starvation for parental affection, which had made his childhood even now a painful memory. He built them hideouts in the woods, played bear, gorilla, charades, and other games, read to them, spun them yarns at the fireside, gave them nicknames. His oldest, Diana, he called the gold cream kitten. Randolph, he called the rabbit. Sarah, he called the bumblebee, and Marigold, he called duckadilly. I want, you to, I want you to think about that. I want you to get a picture of that. The man who stood down Hitler, the man who looked at the face of pure evil and didn't cower, the man who had victory after victory on the front lines, and his most crowning achievement was getting down on all fours and playing bear and gorilla with his kids, reading to them, spinning yarn, telling them stories. Churchill, without womb, without his nanny, he would not have been the same Churchill. But because of the stories that she told him, the way that she led through her storms, Churchill changes the legacy of his family. And he makes sure that his kids understand what it means to be a part of a loving family, to understand what it means to look at your dad and know that your dad cares about you. The stories that we tell the next generation, it matters big time. And just so you know, in case you didn't already know, you've got that opportunity every 
weekend. Every weekend, there are kids that are coming here. And it's not this cute little time where they sit down and they color pictures just to kind of buy time until you're ready to come pick them up. During that time, they're, they're here to hear a different kind of story. They're looking for people to spend time with them, to pour into their lives. Because they're hearing enough stories about fear and angst and depression and the sky is falling. They need to hear stories of faith, hope, and love. You've got that opportunity. If you, if you were ever can just possibly considering the possibility of doing that, I invite you after the service, walk on the hall, go talk to uh, Becky Prince. She, she'd be happy to give you some more information. But what we do, the stories that we tell to the next generation, it matters big time. It changes the world. You see, that's what, that's what Jesus was doing at this table. He was telling a story. It was a story that the, the disciples knew. It was a story about Egypt. It was a story about a storm in Egypt, about slavery in Egypt, a story about the time when the Hebrews were enslaved. But the story he tells, the main character, wasn't the storm. The main character of the story was the faithfulness of God, the hope that people had in God and the love that God had for them. And the disciples, they, they know this story. They know it well. But this time when Jesus tells a story, he begins to tell his story. As the, as the Roman storm is closing in on him, in that moment, Jesus leads through his storm as he tells his story of faith, hope, and love. And because he did that, we come to this table time time again because of his story. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.